church let's gather together find your seats oh you guys god is so good he is so good and he's good to us amen again just can't tell you how grateful we are for every one of you for all those that are here today for all those that are joining us online and again just want to give a special shout out to all those that are at home right now we understand that there's still some of you that feel more comfortable being at home and guess what we got your back um, we love you guys, and we know that we can be separate together. And so, um, but I just want to encourage you right now to maybe uh, grab that cinnamon bun out of the, uh, of the microwave and maybe get a fresh cup of coffee and, and settle in for a few moments as we're going to dive into the Word of God today. Uh, for those of you who have not been with us, we are in a series right now in the book of Ephesians. But before we even get there, I should also introduce myself to those that might not know me. Um, who am I? My name is Matt Jansen. I'm a radical lover of Jesus. And I just so happen to have the incredible pleasure, at least once a week, Tanya and I look at each other going, can you believe we get to do this? Uh, we get to be the lead pastors here at Life Church, And so we're so grateful for that opportunity. We get to serve alongside of pastors Mike and Ev and our incredible leadership team, eldership team. And, um, and we, we're kind of relatively new at this. We've been doing it for about five months-ish now but man we just love that we get to praise God this way we just love that we get to glorify his name with all of you and take a stand to declare his greatness you know that's what we're doing this morning church when we come together when you make a choice to get out of bed in the morning and, and turn on your your online service or come into the service in person we are making a stand to to the world just be your world around you maybe this morning you just needed to make a declaration you know, that God is good and that he is holy and that he is just and he is, he is greater than everything that we see. So you had to take a stand this morning of faith to come on out and be a part of this. But we glorify the name of Jesus. And this morning we're going to continue our series. We're going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, last week I was able to speak to you about the idea that Jesus is Lord of all. We have a whole lot of things that are going on in the world around us right now that are quite frankly very overwhelming. But we need to recognize and realize the truth, that is that Jesus is Lord of all. And he is Lord of all people, and we are united under his lordship. And we talked about the fact that there was, in the time of Paul, there was this rift that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a hostility that existed. But because of his lordship, because of his greatness, he rose above all those things, and he united that people under the name of Jesus. And we, too, are united. The things, the one who unites us, his name is Jesus, is greater than the things that divide us. Amen? Amen. And now this morning, we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to go on a little bit of an adventure here. I want to honor your time, so I'm going to go rather quickly through this. Are you with me? We're going to dive into this this morning. I, gotta, I feel like God's put a word in my heart for you this morning, so I'm going to share it with you. And the title of my message would be Strong in Grace. Somebody say Strong in Grace. Strong in Grace. It was funny, last night as we were going to bed, Tanya's like, what's the title of your message tomorrow? I said, Strong in Grace. And she goes, oh, that's your favorite. And I said, yeah, yeah, it is my favorite. I love, I love this topic. And if I were to summarize where we're going this morning under a statement, I would probably say this. Our weaknesses are covered by him and serve to reveal God's glory to the world around us. 
our weaknesses are covered by him and actually serve to reveal God's glory to the world around us. In other words, it's this big idea around our sermon series that is his grace is given to us and he gets all the glory. God gives us his grace so that he can be glorified. God gives us his grace through our weaknesses, through our weaknesses. And really what we're talking about here, the theme of this is kind of this idea of an underdog story or a comeback. You know, an underdog story or a comeback, that, that when things look the darkest, that's when, when God can come and have his greatest, uh, greatest opportunity to show his power in that moment. You know, it's that underdog idea of coming from behind. We all love a good underdog story, don't we? I mean, I got to tell you, honestly, um, there's only one sport that I really follow consistently, and it is hockey. And yes, I am a long-suffering, suffering being the key word, Canucks fan. Big fan of the Canucks, um, but, uh, and, and I, love, I love watching them, but quite frankly, I could probably get into any sport if I really wanted to, because I think the secret to getting into sports is that you get to know the nuances of the sport. You get to understand the different players and how they interact and, and the story behind what they're doing. But if, if, if I am turning on a, a sporting event, and my son loves football, so often, you know, he'll be like, Dad, could, you, could we watch some football? I'll ask him, you know, Josiah, who's the worst team here? And he'll tell me, and I'll say, well, that's the team I want to cheer on. Why? Because I love the story of a team that comes from behind to win the whole thing. You know that story? We experienced that yesterday with Josiah's soccer, actually. Um, he was in his first ever cup game. And so they were playing soccer yesterday, and it, it was this team from Vancouver. And the team, guess what? They went down 2 nothing in the, in, the, in the first part of the game. And it looked like it was impossible. They were down. It was like, are they going to be able to come back? And guess what, you guys? They scored two goals and brought it back to 2-2. Two to two. And then the game went into extra time. Now, I'm not a soccer guy. So I was thinking, okay, this probably means that it's going to be a sudden death, right? But that's not how it works in soccer. I didn't realize this. It's actually extra time, and they play the entire time. So they had two 10-minute halves going into the overtime. So there I am cheering on Josiah. Come on, buddy. He played so good. And I'm just partially bragging on him because I'm so proud of him. He was so awesome. But we're, we're watching this in the 10-minute overtime, and what happens right away is, is the, uh, the other team comes down, and they score a goal within, like, the first minute. And you could, they all, you know, join together in the center, ah! they're cheering, and you could see Josiah's team kind of their shoulders are slumping, and oh, my goodness. And then literally two minutes later, ball gets kicked to the front, player goes in, scores another goal. Two, they're up now by two. It's four to two. And I'm like, oh, man, this season's over. My poor son, how am I going to console him afterwards? I'm already thinking about the words that I'm going to say to try and work through this with him. And guess what happened? The underdog, the comeback. You know, they come down. They don't give up. They fight hard. And, and next thing you know, there's an open shot, and a guy takes a shot and scores the goal. And it's like, Wah! it's two to one. And then there's like two minutes left. What's going to happen? Can, this, can they pull this off? Can they get through this? Can they, can they persevere through this? And guess what? They did. Four to four. And then, guess what? It had to go to shootouts. And that was intense. And so the first player comes up and he scores. The next player comes up and he scores. And then it's our team again and he scores. And the next player comes up and he kicks the ball over the net. Yes! And it goes all the way over. And then, and then guess what? They won the game. The comeback was complete. We love a good underdog story, a good comeback story. Well, when we dig into Ephesians chapter 3 today, I want you to keep that in mind because Paul is talking about the ultimate comeback story. 
Paul is talking about the ultimate underdog story, about this comeback that God produced in his life. Come on, because you know that we serve the God of the comeback. We serve the God of the underdog. We serve, uh, Jesus was the greatest comeback artist in the history of this planet. He came back from the, the most desperate situation that we could ever imagine. He conquered death and he came back to life. We love a good comeback story. So here's how we're going to approach this today with that in mind, okay? That our weaknesses are covered by him. They serve to reveal God's glory in the world. Here's how we're going to approach this today. We're going to read the first 10 verses together. There's a kind of a section in there that we're going to read. Then we're going to pray. Then I'm going to pull out very quickly for you six principles today from the word of God. We're going to get two from that first section, and then we're going to pull out the remaining four from the remainder of that passage, okay? You guys with me? Can we do this? All right, here we go, Ephesians. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today, and I'm just going to go ahead and read this through. We're going to pray, and we're going to dive into this. When I think about all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, dot, dot, dot. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches uh, inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading his good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We come under the authority of your word, Lord Jesus. At Life Church, God, we value the word of God and we will build our lives upon it. And we pray this morning, Lord God, that it would not be my interpretation, but God, I pray that the word would interpret me this morning, God. I pray that the word would speak through me, Lord, this morning, Lord Jesus. And I pray that as the word goes forth, it would not return void, but it would accomplish what it is set out to do. I pray for life and joy and peace to come through the word of God today and conviction that is godly to come in Jesus' name name. Father, I get out of the way and I say, do whatever you want to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what are we diving into? Six principles, you guys. Six principles. And here's the first one. First principle is this. An eternal perspective will help you have strength to endure. Here's the first principle. An eternal perspective will help you to have strength to endure. What do I mean by that? Paul starts out this section of the book of Ephesians by stating something about himself. He says, listen, to all of you, when I think this way, I, Paul, and then he calls himself this, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Paul defines himself as a prisoner of Jesus. And then in every version that I read, there's like this, this punctuation there. There's like this, this pause. 
It's as if Paul just kind of stops right there and goes, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the, the, the gravity, the greatness of that, or, or maybe he just gets giddy and starts giggling at himself. I don't know. But he, he, he says that, and it's like this pause. And he kind of just takes like a right turn there and says, listen, I just need to unpack this for a moment. I just need to talk about this for a moment. But the big thing is here that he calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Now, what do we know about Paul? At this time, we know that Paul is actually a literal prisoner when he is writing this book. We don't know exactly where he is. Actually, scholars debate that. It's likely that he was in Rome at the time when he was writing these prison epistles, if you will. But Paul is actually literally, he's actually in prison. He can't go anywhere. Um, it, it is believed that perhaps he may have had a little bit of freedom at this time, but at night for sure, he was chained to a guard. He could not leave. He had to stay and await his trial. So Paul is literally a prisoner. But Paul chooses not to dwell in that place. Paul chooses not to spend all his time focused on that reality. But Paul chooses to lift up his eyes to a greater reality. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here we see an example of what this looks like. Because Paul, guess what Paul could have done? Paul could have written this letter... And, and we talked about this kind of earlier in the series. We talked about it at the very beginning where Paul says, for those that are in Ephesus, remember this, and those that are in Christ, remember that? And we talked about how you could be in Ephesus, and if you're in Ephesus, it's this idea of your physical location. Or you could be in Christ, which is your theological location. It's where you are in Him. It's your spiritual location. And the question always is, which location are you allowing to influence you the most? Can we just kind of bring this home for a moment? We're in a season right now where we are being bombarded with people's opinions and divisive ideas. We literally are watching a war take place halfway across the world. And there's this amazing, like this division that is taking place in the world all around us. And, and, and if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to get sucked into just thinking about these things. And not remembering the reality that we talked about this morning, that he actually is Lord of all. And he is in charge. And his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you allowing Ephesus to influence you? Or are you allowing the Spirit of God and being in Christ to influence you the most? Here's, here's how, um, I love this, this quote here from William Barclay. When we were undergoing hardship, unpopularity, material loss for the sake of Christian principles, we may either regard ourselves as the victims of men or as champions of Christ. What is your perspective? See, Paul rightly could have had the perspective at this moment that he is a prisoner of Rome. He could have actually written an entire letter around that idea. He could have talked about, hey, to all those that are in Ephesus, just want to let you know how I'm doing. Um, listen, this is really tough right now. 
I'm experiencing a lot of loss. I haven't been able to eat the food that I normally like to eat, so I've been experiencing some dietary issues. I also have to mention that I need you to advocate for me because right now um, there are some major issues going on politically, and perhaps you can pass this letter on to a senator or to somebody that can maybe make a difference for me. He could have written it that way. And you know what would have happened had he written that letter? It would have been a great letter, probably. And it might have brought about some change in his personal situation. But guess what it wouldn't have done? It wouldn't have been being read right now, 2,000 years later, in a church, a little church in White Rock, B.C. Because what God is doing is always so much bigger than what we see. Church, it's about having an eternal perspective. It's about having an eternal perspective. Step, we see an example of this again in, in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, who the Bible says is a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, who, who is taken before the Sanhedrin, and, and, and they are grilling him, and they're going after him. And at the end of his speech, Stephen gives this incredible speech outlining the history of the people of Israel and leading up and culminating with the death and resurrection of Christ. And at the end of his speech, it says that the entire assembly is in chaos, and they're ripping their clothes, and they're and they're going after him. And, and, and Stephen, in that very moment, stops and looks up to heaven. And this is what it says in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. He says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, gazing into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In other words, he's saying, I don't even see all this chaos. I don't even see the things right now that are going on because my God is in charge. My God is, is Lord. He is King. We talked about this last week, you guys. Probably the greatest thing that we can do in this season with everything that's going on is not ignore it, but pray to God the Father who is Lord of all. We pray. We ask Him to come and intervene. We ask Him to come and have His way. We ask Him to come and bring peace. Because He is Lord of all. Are you with me? All right, so the first idea here is that an eternal perspective will help you have strength to endure. Okay, the second one is this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. This is what Paul says. He says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Number two, if God can redeem your past, then he can surely work in your current circumstances. If God can redeem your past, then he can surely walk, work in your current circumstances. Listen to me, church. Your past experiences do not define you. They do not need to define you. God can take anything and redeem it and use it for his glory. He can take anything and redeem it and use it for his glory. Come on. So here's Paul. And that story I just told you about Stephen, guess what? Paul plays a part in that. Because at that time, the Bible tells us that there was a young man named Saul. That was his name prior to meeting Jesus. And Saul stood there, and he oversaw what happened next with Stephen. Because they pulled him out into the courtyard. They pulled him out into the, the outskirts of the city. And the Bible tells us that they stoned him to death. They picked up stones, and they stoned him to death. And there was a man named Saul who stood there. And the Bible tells us that the people came and laid their coat at his feet. So he was overseeing this whole event. And at that, that moment, Stephen was martyred, and Saul was a part of that. Can you imagine the guilt that you would carry around with you for the rest of your life? Can, can you imagine 
that would, that would stop most people. But Christ chose him out of all people to be the messenger for his new work, for his new covenant. Christ chose him. And, and this is the way that Paul talks about it. He says, I am the least deserving of all God's people. But he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available to them. Listen to me, church. God's glory is revealed in restoration. Yeah, I could even say it this way. The worst your past was, the more glory God can get from a future committed to him. Paul talks about it. I boast in my weakness because Christ is in me. I boast in it because it shows the glory of God. It shows what God is doing even now, that he's working in me both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Come on. Looping back around to the start of this passage, Paul says, I am a prisoner. He finds himself in a situation again where God has to redeem his current situation. And he's seen him move before. He's seen him redeem a past that he thought was unredeemable. That's why he can say, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Because he had seen God redeem his past, he could choose to believe that God could redeem his present circumstances. Church, whatever you're going through today, whatever situation you find yourself in, God is able to work in it. God is able to work in this circumstance. If he could do it then, he's going to do it again. Amen? Moving on. Number three. We have access to God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 through 12 says this. Um, uh, in the New Living Translation, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out before through Christ Jesus our Lord because of Christ and our faith in him. We can now come boldly and confidently into Christ's presence, into God's presence. Okay, those words right there, I want you to land on that for just a second. Just so I know that you're awake, say boldly. Thank you. And confidently. Those two words, boldly and confidently, those speak about a healthy relationship. Okay? They speak about a healthy relationship. And one of the keys to any healthy relationship is to be confident that you are known and that you are loved. Think about it, church. One of the keys to a healthy relationship is to know that you are known and to know that you are loved. When you know that, you can have confidence in a relationship. And what breaks down those relationships, what breaks down that situation of health, is, is when you are drifting away from others. When you're not talking to other people, when you're not in community with people, and so you're not being known. And therefore, you're not sure if you're loved. And here's, here's the thing about God. When we break trust and communication in a relationship, it can quickly result in walls of protection being raised that keep you from being authentic with others and with God. There's a fear of, does this person really love me? Here's the thing about God. Right now, you are fully known and you are fully loved. Because of what Jesus has done. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 2 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up and you know my thoughts even when I am far away. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him a new, new sin, no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My big idea on this one is this. We have access to God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. So today he knows you, he loves you, he accepts you, and by your faith in Jesus Christ, you can walk boldly and confidently into the throne room of God. And again, like Paul says here, it's not because of what he's done. It's not because Paul is so great. It's because of what Christ has done in him. And again, in your life, it's not because we're so great. It's not because we've figured this out and we got the five points down of how we need to live a life of faith for Jesus. But it's because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, who gives you access to his presence. Today, you can come before him. Our access to the Father is through Jesus, so we can come to him as our true, authentic selves, feeling safe about being completely open and vulnerable with him boldly and confidently all right you with me we got three more we can do this number four we must choose to be strong in grace ephesians 3 14 and 17 when i think of all this i fall to my knees and pray to the father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth and i pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. When I think of this, I fall on my knees. And what does it say? Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will go down deep into God's love and make you strong. Your roots will go deep. My question for you today, church, is are you all in with his grace? Are you all in? 2 Timothy 2.1 says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is this? This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. And it's actually a statement of action. It's something that we can actually do. And it's saying you have to choose to be strong in the grace of of Jesus Christ. Church, let me tell you something. When you embrace this mentality, it will revolutionize your relationship with Jesus. It will revolutionize your heart. Because I think we are prone as human beings to try and figure these things out on our own. I think without even realizing it, we often drift into a place where we think, I think I can do this. I think there's these these five points that I just need to work on. And if I work on them, then I'll be accepted by God. If I, if I could just figure, if I could just do this one thing for Jesus, then maybe I would prove to him that he really is who I, th- who I say he is, and, and, th- and then I'll be accepted by God. But church, can we just re- relax a minute and just realize and just recognize that the fact that we are here today is a sign of his grace working in our lives. That God who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That God who called you here today is, is faithful to carry you through to the end. That his grace is sufficient for you and his strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you recognize today that his grace is enough for you? His grace is enough for you. And he said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient to you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Here's Paul in prison boasting about his infirmities to say, look what God can do for a person whose heart is set upon him. Look what God can do for a person who is trusting in God to move in the midst of any circumstance. Come on, God is working. God is working. Number five, we are made complete in his love. Got two more, guys. You're doing great. We are made complete in his love. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. And may you have the power to understand, as God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of God. And may you have power to understand, as all people should, uh, may experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Here's my question. Have you allowed his love to overtake you? I go back to this quote that I read last week. I just love this. It just gets me every time. Betsy Tenboom, in the concentration camp in Germany, dying on the ground, on a stretcher. Corey Tenboom, her younger sister, leans over, listens to her, and she whispers up to her sister, must tell the people what we've learned here. We must tell them that there's no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. Church, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. There's no place that you can hide and get away from his love because it pursues us. The, the old timers would call it the hound of heaven is on your heels and he is chasing you today. Do you know that love? I love this idea about that love. This is from David Guzik in, in his commentary on this passage. And he says this, it's like the cross is a sign of his love and in this way that it points four ways. Essentially, in every direction, because God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity, and God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. Do you know the love of God? Are you aware of it? Ephesians 3.19 says, to know, in the New King James Version, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness. And this isn't just, do you believe it, but do you know it? That word in the Greek is gnosko, which is to be resolved or to know intimately. Is it in your head or is it in your heart? Do you know the love of God? Do you know it? Do you know it? And we're going to close with this. Number six. God is always greater in every situation and in the face of every issue. Come on. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory both now and forever. To him be the glory both now and forever. Church, he is able 
Our God is able. Our God is able through His grace to work in your life today. Our God is able by His love to overwhelm you with the reality of that love. Our God is able to use your weaknesses for His glory. In fact, the greater your weaknesses, the greater His glory. Because God is working in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do you believe it today, church? Do you know it today? So I challenge you this morning, church, to set your mind upon things above. I challenge you this morning to, to, to rest your eyes and turn your eyes, as we sang last week, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look to Him, for He is the one who will save us. He is the God who is working in the midst of the circumstances that surround us. He is Lord of all. He really is Lord of all. And He is dwelling in our midst calling us up to another level. He gives us grace to accomplish His purposes. Therefore, He gets the glory. And again, I'll say this. Our weaknesses are covered by Him and actually serve to reveal God's glory to the world around us. God is working in us. And my prayer for you today is that we may shine brighter because He is shining brighter in our life to the world around us. It's that prayer of John the Baptist who says, may I decrease that he may increase in me. May I decrease that he may increase in me. I want to invite my beautiful wife to come. Yep. And she's going to um, get on the piano. And we are just going to take a few moments here, church, as we close. Um, to honor the greatest comeback story that has ever existed on this planet. This underdog. This ultimate weakness that God turned into his strength and glory with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so this morning we're going to take a few moments, church, and we're going to join together in remembrance of that, as he has commanded us to do, and we're going to have a time of communion. I'm going to invite Pastor Mike to come, and he's going to lead us through that time. I'm going to invite those that are um, serving the elements to come right now, and if you could come and help us with that, and let's just hand these out right now, and then we're going to close the service with a few announcements.